Welcome back to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. This is our concepts edition for this week. I'm Devin Bedoni of Lycan Precision. And I'm Uriel Eisen of Austere Manufacturing. I hit that quote. When perfection is on our minds, we tend not to take a step. From Steve Kane. Yeah. I think it was uh, Gemba Academy podcast that I heard the interview on. Huh. Check it out. Yeah. Some good interviews on there um i kind of like the i think it's important to recognize and i think we've been talking about this just like i feel sometimes to start planning a project and then scope creep essentially where it's like oh well if i'm doing that i'll have to do this and then i'll have to do that and i think that's often this this thing here of sort of like and, and and I think a challenge of becoming more knowledgeable and sort of more of an expert is you know how things should be done mm-hmm. in a funny way. And you've seen a lot of really professionally done projects. Yeah. Whereas early on, you're like, I don't know how to build a whatever. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. Grab a board and hammer this thing into <laughs> <Yeah>. it. And <laughs> man, that's really awful. And yeah, I think it's important to maintain that um, willingness to like do something. Yeah. And do it quick. This seems like kind of another distillation of the like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good mm-hmm. mindset. Yeah, totally. um, but it's, I think it is useful to have it sort of in these words. Um, Cause I think a lot of people, I think people act in a more binary manner than maybe they think they do. Binary in what way? Like this is like, don't, don't strive for perfection because then you don't start at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of people will be like, well, I'm going to, I am going to do a step and I'm going to strive for strive for perfection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they don't really realize that they're not actually taking a step at all. Uh, right. Right. It's a, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I don't know if that's a super, <coughs> I get a, take or anything. I get a lot of phone calls. Um, people being like, Hey, I have this idea. What do you think? Uh-huh. And basically my thought is like, well, have you tried anything? <laughs> Cause normally the answer is no. And then it's for all these good sensible reasons yeah. of like, well, I don't know if I should use a, you know, this, uh, who's watch it. Or if we should go more for like, a this is people, this other technology, like lean advice or no, like product development uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, do you think that this alloy would be better than that alloy? And you're like, I, I don't think that's <laughs> like, it's not really the important question to be yeah. asking right now. Have you built anything? Yeah. Yeah. But even, you know, just for myself, I think it's easy in the shop to start thinking like I need a shelf. Okay. Well, what shelf brackets should I buy? And then 35 minutes later, you're like researching, trying to find the best shelf bracket yeah. that's like cheap, but also strong. And, <laughs> and, and it's like, okay. And you don't have a shelf and you haven't bought a shelf bracket. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's a challenge. Um, I think we, I think this, like, hopefully we're not beating a dead horse here, but we've been dealing with this with our like tool management system and Uh I kind of wanted to hold off till we had the whole thing baked and whatnot. Right. And then like a week or two ago, it's kind of like, well, we can't afford to just do this all right now. So (laughs) let's figure out what we can do now. Oh, that's cool. And start with that part. I mean, it's sort of cool. <laughs> yeah. Sort of terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but it's good. I think when your, your hand is forced a little bit in that way, yeah. you learn to like flex that muscle. 
Yeah. Because it's very easy to just not flex the muscle and not actually do the work to figure out what parts you can. Because I think the person calling you up, asking about what alloy they should use. Yeah. In the grand scheme of that project, it's probably an important question to answer. And figuring out what, but figuring out what the important question to answer right now is, is actually kind of complicated, I think, for some people. I think so. Yeah. I think there's also generally a confusion for like between talking and analysis and being smart. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, eh. I mean, I'm just imagining something where they're like thinking about a product design. Right. And, and then you're, you're like, like, well, are we going to form this or fabricate it or machine it? Right. What alloy you use probably does have some, you know, bearing on how yeah. you choose to proceed with this project. And so like, yeah, it needs to be answered at some point. Totally. And, but, but then also, <laughs> but not now. Yeah. But then most people, how I think myself included, maybe still, I, I'm certainly still, <laughs> have a hard time myself also <laughs> yeah have a hard time figuring out like okay so what is the question that needs to be answered right now yeah like that takes work and it takes for a, sure and it is a muscle that you have to flex to figure out okay so we can't a it's not necessary and b we can't really answer this alloy question what is the question that is that is pertinent and allows us to proceed yeah well on the subject of be, having your hand forced and flexing that muscle i mean yeah <clears throat> that is like why we're here um, because after World War II, yeah. Toyota wanted to make stuff and didn't have enough cash to buy machines or to buy inventory. Right. And so they had to figure out how to make a lot of stuff without holding a lot of inventory and without having fancy machines that could make stuff fast. Mm -hmm. um, I'm. It's very interesting. I think I we touched on this last week, but... Um, things have kind of shifted quite a bit in the shop in terms of production and speed and demand and all this stuff. And just due to the new product yeah. slash time of year. Uh, yeah. Hard to know which yeah. <laughs> both yeah. probably. Um, but it's interesting because we're in a very small shop um, and we don't have really space for more equipment or any of it. And so it has forced us to do things in a lean way. And the funny thing is I thought we had flow before and we really didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I was just thinking like getting a bigger oven or a second oven. Yeah. Actually flowing through one small oven, you're able to produce a lot more in a small space. Uh -huh. And so it, it's like, I don't know. It, it's stupid to say, but like this stuff actually works. <laughs> and I say that only because it's very counterintuitive and I think it sounds theoretical. Yeah. But then if you actually like pencil it out, you're like, Oh yeah. Huh. This really, really works. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Uh, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if you're going to jump into something next, but mm. we're sort of, I have been noticing the reverse, not the reverse that it doesn't work, but, in switching to a large shop or yeah. larger shop, there's a lot of things that worked fine before that. Now you're like, this is genuinely a problem. Like oh. walking over to our job board and being like, okay, that's the number I need to hold in my head. I'm going to walk back here. Mm -hmm. Even just like I did some setups this last week. <clears throat> More on that later. Um, and it used to be that like our tool setup area was literally like 
three steps from any machine, right? More or less. Yeah. And so like walking back and forth just really didn't seem like a big deal. Uh huh. So like having the information at the work set the, at the machine and then like walking over, grabbing your tool and kind of like assembling that way was not a big deal. And now it's like, Oh my God, this is like a lot of walking back and forth and holding stuff in your head while you do it. I'm like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> like we really have to switch this up. Um, and it's interesting. A, I think a lot of people take it for granted that you just have to walk around a lot or whatever. But, uh, yeah, the, the different kinds of waste that get hidden in different spaces and different systems. Yeah. Right. Like you had, well, I wonder if you had waste in your other shop. I mean, we did. It just wasn't super highlighted. Yeah. I think it's sort of the benefit. One of the weird benefits of single piece flow is highlighting waste which seems like exactly the opposite of what you're trying to do when trying to get your work done. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're like, I don't want the waste highlighted. I want yeah. finished product. <laughs> um, but yeah, extending that, I guess is what you, you yeah, you've amplified right. all the travel wastes in your shop probably. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you're like, this needs to change. Yeah. Interesting. Um, this is a little thing. I, I, I really wanted to talk about, um, yeah, sort of what, what I'm seeing with, with flow uh-huh. and that I thought we had flow and we evidently did not at all. Mm-hmm. And which is, and maybe very, didn't even have pull. It sounds like we had chunks of pull <laughs> and then mixed in with some push. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting and also a little unnerving uh-huh. or it makes me less confident. Like I'm kind of like, okay, <laughs> I need to think about this hard because clearly I thought we were doing the right thing and yeah, you just, we weren't. You just took the red pill and all of a sudden everything looks different. <laughs> Something. <laughs> it's just, yeah, very different. Um, but a brief uh, interlude. Um, there is the concept from seeding matters of the answer should be where the question is. Yeah. So anytime you have a question, the answer should be right there. Love Even it. better than that, of course, would be eliminating the question. But yeah, it's one of my favorite. That's also sayings. an option. Yeah. yeah, it's very good. Um, I then was wondering if you have a question. Well, okay, <laughs> this is kind of in the weeds. Um, <laughs> but like cognitively, when you encounter a problem of like trying to do your work, yeah. Is there sort of a chain of events in your head that happens? Like, does your brain, like what's happening? Are you like, you go to try to do something and it's like, okay, say you're leaving your house and you go to reach for your keys and they're not there. Uh Like what happens? Is it like one part of your brain is like, is there, is there like an, Oh no cortex? (laughs) (laughs) Like, and then, um, and then like how do other parts of your brain sort of get pulled into that? Um, Cause then you need suddenly are pulled into problem solving essentially. Right. And also kind of curious to know like what, I mean, it's essentially mental load, I think broadly. Mm-hmm. Right. But like it, it feels extremely disruptive to getting anything done. Yeah. And I think it's, you it's mean, disruptive, having, but also just dis- unanswered question that, keeps you from proceeding yeah like when you're um sending an email and you have to create an attack you know put in an attachment and you don't know where the file is or you get an email with an attachment that you need to file away and you don't really know where it should go and then you spend like 
three minutes figuring that out or creating new folders or something and mm. then you're sort of back to square one like what is the total effect i think it's probably i don't know like cognitively sort of what is, is there a sort of a mechanism that is regular of like being vexed and then your brain sort of like figuring out what the problem is and then what the best course of action is to figure out the problem um so i phoned up uh my professor from college ah is this the one who had that that yeah experiment <laughs> yeah yeah um he didn't have uh so he had a few ideas for like research to look at but the one thing he mentioned which i thought was just interesting generally is the zigarnik effect <laughs> which is sort of funny that it's named but you know when you're like unconscious about thinking about a problem and then suddenly the solution pops into your head about something you were like struggling with like a week ago mm, like the or a year the, ago the in the shower moment yeah you're like oh and you weren't even conscious about thinking about that thing yeah um but that i don't feel like it's exactly relevant uh-huh. but i just thought that was interesting <laughs> interesting <laughs> effect um still question marks on the rest of it um <laughs> But I suspect it would be really interesting to know what the effect is. There's probably research out from like aviation, I would guess, about your cognitive ability while doing other things or I don't know. Yeah. It's sort of like multi-threading versus like single threading in a processor. And we're not that good at multi-threading. As you were talking, I was like trying to like think about other things while still listening to you yeah. and being like, yeah, this doesn't work very good. <laughs> no, no, I know. Sometimes when you're talking about something i'm trying to figure out what i'm going to talk about next and then it's hard to respond <laughs> yeah so we're not good at it and so it is really it's so much easier to do work when all those things are easy when they're when you don't keep bumping into little annoying things that you have to keep solving yes uh yeah anyway so that's Which not is probably why the two second lean thing is actually quite effective for a lot of stuff yeah for that reason and yeah. for the reasons of compounding. Yeah. Yeah. When, when like your work is a lot of these, right. You know, when the two second, two second lean directly, uh, relates to the daily work that you do, mm -hmm. i.e. a production environment or, you know, package ship environment or kind of that kind Office of thing. work, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It seems like you, there's so much to be gained there because of that effect. Like all of a sudden you just do the work. Yeah. Not all of a sudden. After a lot of hard work, you do the work. <laughs> <laughs> After hundreds of improvements. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so back to the, 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 the topic of flow. Um, so basically what we've been doing for the past two years is we have three Kanban loops. I think we've discussed this on the podcast. Um, the first Kanban loop is from the customer, triggers, produces an order, mm -hmm. creates an order that goes to our assembly station. Our, our assembly station, I hesitate to say this, I think is flow <laughs> because we have one piece that goes through every process before the next piece starts. Uh-huh. And it's triggered I guess, by an What order. is the distinction between push and flow in single piece? If you have one piece and you're pushing it to the next station, it is flowing. It's also pushed because once it enters that flow cell, it goes all the way through. I don't really know anyway. And I, I'm not sure it's important, but it maybe is because uh -huh. I, I guess. Yeah. 
So anyway, so that's the first loop. Second loop is if the assembly station pulls something, um, it can trigger a Kanban uh, to call for the paint department to produce more of that painted part. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's our second loop. I've discovered that that cell, the paint department, say, uh -huh. doesn't flow. That's really push and not single piece push or single piece flow. You mean like within the within? Yeah, within yeah. that loop. Okay. So, so um, still being pulled from assembly, right? It's so. This is the thing. I think I was conflating being pulled as like we're not okay. I'll make a big distinction, which is very important in the grand scheme of things. Like we started production well down the road of understanding that holding inventory was a risk mm -hmm. for companies historically a big part about of lean that is sort of or the Toyota production system that is a big shift is viewing viewing inventory as a liability yeah so we're not doing that it's not like we're producing hundreds of thousands of pieces with no orders and then just hoping they're going to get ordered so maybe in all of this, we are well down the path of pull mm -hmm. in that way. What I'm seeing, though, is that in we'll just focus on the paint. So paint, yeah. we take parts, sandblast them, pass them off to the painting area, or sandblast them, gas them out, and then they go to the painting booth to get racked, painted, baked, and then to QC. <clears throat> and what's been happening is that that is clearly pushed because parts get sandblasted and then gassed out and then passed off to the paint booth. And then they just kind of sit at the paint booth waiting to get painted. And sometimes they start accumulating there. Their trigger was their, <coughs> or sorry, their production was triggered from the paint booth though, right? The production was triggered from the assembly station. The assembly station was like, Hey, we need more orange cams and we need more black belt slides. Right. Right. <clears throat> but then isn't there a second loop from paint back to machining? Or yes. So then paint so, pulls parts from machining yeah. and tells the machining department, hey, we just used more parts. Go make more. So sorry, what's the third loop? So the third loop is that machining loop. Gotcha. From paint. But inside paint, we are sandblasting stuff, gassing it out, and then passing it to the paint booth and saying like, hey, paint these. And we're treating that whole flow. We're treating that whole series of operations as a flow portion it's like pull where you or flow where you can pull where you must yep. so we're saying we are flowing from sandblast all the way through qc uh-huh but i think we're not flowing i think we're creating it's it's called for so i, I yeah this is more of a question <laughs> like yeah, i have no, no answers here i i i has i i think maybe we just need to add a kanban loop from the paint from the painting booth to the sandblasting, like maybe that needs to be a separate loop because what happens if the paint department gets behind, then really you shouldn't clog the system with a big queue of like work in process parts waiting to get painted. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening. And that has a lot of knock on effects that are problematic. It, Further it, is the issue. Sorry to interrupt. But no, no. Is the issue that it's not, pull or not flow or is it just that there's not someone there to do the work like if there was someone there to do the work it's like it was ordered 
via yeah. Kanban. Yeah. So it is pull. Well, okay. So all of this is basically shaking my confidence that I have a good understanding <laughs> about how this should be implemented. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And now I have a new understanding, <laughs> but generally less confidence that, yeah. that I'm correct, which is so more generally, if you zoom out to the whole shop, um, what's been happening on the days when we, I mean, for the past three weeks, we've just had to produce a lot of stuff. And so what we've found is the most effective way is to implement, I think we talked about this last week, a one hour tax time. Cause that's yeah. basically what paint is doing. I'm basically staying in the paint department most of the day. Um, and by department, I mean paint booth, like I'm just yeah. painting. Um, <laughs> and then the key is to supply parts to me every hour. And that has been a challenge across the whole shop because that means we need to interrupt the CNC once per hour to unload parts. Uh-huh. So if we have a three hour cycle, we can't wait for it to finish. Yeah. We have to interrupt it to pass them to degrease. Otherwise the paint department's going to run out of stuff to paint. Yeah. Um, and so when we're hitting that like tempo, that is flow. Like I, that is pull and that is flow. And like everything is synchronized and moving and the other is really not. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is. Is it just like, is it, is it that our Kanban quantities are so high relative to hours in the day? Like what's happening? What, what, well, let's, you know what I mean? Let's back up a little bit. Yeah. Let's imagine there was enough labor for every station to be manned. Yeah. Do you think you would still be saying the same issue? I think the fundamental like structure of the shop is sort of weird and (laughs) it's good. We're making good stuff. Yeah. But, um, we have a, uh, we have a new robot over there that I'm borrowing. And so Uh my brother is going to be in town. So the big project is going to be trying to get it painting. Oh, we'll, we'll see how successful we are. This is big news. Oh yeah. Yeah. It should be. Um, I, I'm pretty excited about it, but, um, I'm just seeing like, okay, today we ran out of coyote buckles. Yeah. Uh, belt buckles. And so I started painting coyote belt buckles and I put the first one down on the tray and I'm just looking at it. I'm like, God damn it. Like that's going to sit there now for 40 minutes before going in the oven because I'm doing it on these trays. Yeah. And so like, I'm just really seeing like the real impact of like batch delays and process delays. And yeah, before we weren't, and before we weren't like the parts we were making weren't actually required for the next station immediately. And if you didn't match the tax time in that station, you were going to to like stop the line like all the stuff you read in the books yeah happens but only if you structure the shop and the whole process so that it does happen yeah and there's a huge value in getting to that point because it's so detrimental to stop the whole shop that it gets a tremendous amount of attention yeah whereas i feel like for the past two years it's i mean this is just like again i love this stuff <laughs> and so i'm gonna do it one way or another yeah I don't really need the whole line stopped, but like we had an extra two people in the shop working on stuff and then something goes wrong. Like the sewing machine, we've had a couple issues with the sewing machine and suddenly you have like three people standing around, not able to do any work and we have a mountain of stuff to ship. And it's like, Oh yeah, 
here we go. Like, this is a thing we really need to sort out. Anyway, but that's just backing up, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> you didn't really answer that question. Uh huh. If uh, every station was manned. Yeah. In a theoretical world, would things flow continuously without making some big adjustments? Like, yes. They would. Yes. But I still don't think that. I'm not saying it's not an excuse as in like shame on me. I'm saying it's not an excuse because I think even with that, there's mm. a fundamental misunderstanding that I've had in the shop that is preventing us from um, sort of taking the, a next big step. And I think it's something to do with this. Sure. In the day, any one person who's doing more than one job Mm-hmm has to split their time across a few tasks. Yeah. And, you know, like you were mentioning that Toyota does a thing with how you execute Kanban in a Mm -hmm. particular order every single time. Yeah. That didn't just organically pop into existence. No. That was something they were like, okay, here's an SOP, and we're going to do it every day. And we're going to do whatever. I forget the example. It was like, you know, B... CQ, BCQ, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so I think, like, what we've been figuring out is that our lack of standardized work, I think, is preventing us from coming up with a real, like, battle rhythm in a funny way. Uh-huh. For example, like, Sam at the assembly station just assembles till he's been running out, and then he'll be like, oh, well, we're out. Let me go do something else. Mm. And today we were sort of like, okay, what would it look like if we said, out of every hour, we're going to spend 35 minutes on the assembly station, and then we're going to spend 10 minutes on the on the CNC, and then we're going to spend, right. you know, whatever. Yeah. And then what if we just stick to that and make observations about what is falling behind or getting ahead? Yeah. And I think this all gets back to sort of like production leveling and like it starts the whole system sort of feels like it starts to sort of come together in a funny way where all the things are active all the time. I mean, yeah, I think there's two separate things. I think your initial question of like, is this pull? Is this flow? Yeah. I do think it's pull and I think it is flow in a sense. And I think what you're a big relief. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm no expert, but having listened to you for the last Uh year, uh, that you know obviously there's a lot of delays happening but i uh-huh. think those delays are more tied to this question as like a labor allocation question uh-huh and clearly like you guys have figured out over the last few weeks a bunch of ways in which you can through synchronization make it ha- give yourself more visibility into how to keep the flow more continuous yeah and i think but i think it does come back to like people knowing where to be when Right, but I think I've been sort of been leaving that up to like us as in as smart people. Yeah. And I just think there's so much variability day to day that it starts to be very hard to see anything. Yeah. We sort of talked about this like I don't know, a year ago at this point, but like balancing your sales efforts, not yours. Mm-hmm. Everyone. One's one <laughs> sales efforts. Yeah, it's, and it's really hard to do, but there should be there is a theoretical number of hours per day or let's say it's an hour per day that should be spent on sales such that sales is never the bottleneck, uh-huh. right? Where all the, all the operations in the business are doing the amount of work that is needed 
per day or per week or whatever your time increment is. Yeah. Um, I don't, <laughs> it's hard. We start, I, I was kind of going to leave it till next episode, but we're basically on topic. So uh-huh. we started tackling this kind of same thing. I mean, it's okay. different in our shop, but, uh-huh. um, but it's very similar to what you're talking about where we, the, the people in my shop all have to do a lot of different things. And I think when it was myself and two others, it was relatively easy to kind of like see that juggle Mm -hmm. and kind of keep tabs on what everyone else was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that in adding one more person, it kind of went over a threshold a little bit and it's probably compounded by several different things. One being new, new space, new layout. Right. Also new person having slightly different skill set. Um, but there, it did seem like there was something about having four people to all figure out where to fit in that it just wasn't super clear. And I have a hard enough time just figuring out what I'm supposed to do myself, mm-hmm. much less like direct everybody else as well. Right. So we kind of, um, so I've been struggling with it and we sat, we all sat down the other day together and made kind of a responsibilities slash priorities rubric. That's cool. And it's just a starting place. Like we kind of initially were like, okay, here's where we know this isn't going to work. But (laughs) again, this is a point at which it will. And actually immediately started highlighting things. So basically we kind of like went through all the main tasks in the shop. We gave everybody a, like a responsibility score like for you, is that an A prior, like not a priority, mm. an A responsibility or a C responsibility? Like, gotcha. So for each task that falls under my responsibilities, like what is the priority? No, it's different than priority. So okay. like, let's say tending machines uh-huh. for one person, that's going to be an A for me, for another person, that's going to be a C let's say now t- that's priority. That's responsibility. That that's so like, Oh, like I shouldn't be doing it, but I will if someone else isn't. If someone else cannot. Okay. So we did that for each person for each task. Oh, so cool. where you're kind of where your responsibilities lie. And then within that for each person, we did a priority list that for like, okay, this is your, your particular first priority. Uh-huh. Hopefully that ideally that should <clears throat> land on some A's. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then we kind of work down the line. So everybody has kind of a list that they can go through like, okay, I'm done with this. What's next. Very cool. Um, and initially it, it immediately highlighted because one of, one of my employees who's been there the longest. And so it's kind of makes sense. We are like, wow, that's a lot of A's. Like clearly some things need to be moved around and it's really hard to see that otherwise. Um, yeah. Did you also have a lot of A's? Um, yeah, yeah, but, um, less shop floor A's. Uh-huh. Um, and it was kind of cool too. Cause like mid and we sort of, we designed this for like future state. And okay. So we're already having to kind of like reel back a little bit to figure out where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're going to have to figure out how to bridge from, from here to there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was kind of cool. Like midday the other day, Coram came up to me and he was like, so I could set this machine up, but according to this, it should be you. 
Interesting. You want to do it? And I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's already highlighting, okay, so if this, if these are responsibilities, how do we, right. How does this person know the timing for when they need to do this next thing? If it's in someone else's wheelhouse, if mm-hmm. this portion of the process is in someone else's wheelhouse. Anyway, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be very helpful. Um, even just yeah. the like exercise of figuring it out was that's, pretty helpful. I think that's a big thing I've sort of landed on in all of this is like, we don't need standard work to be correct at all. We just need to keep doing it the same way so that we can see what's wrong with it. Yeah. Because right now it's, <clears throat> there's so many variables you just can't yeah. figure it out. The interesting thing is sometimes you only have to do it once to right. realize what's like, wrong. Oh, with it. yeah. Like literally you, dr- you, you write it out, you do it once and you're like, Nope, that was wrong. <laughs> right. That's yeah. what I thought we were, you know, and yeah. you've probably been doing it that way or close yeah. to for quite a while. Like, cause usually it tends to be like, this is what we're doing now. Let's write it down. And then you try it and you're like, that was crazy. Right. Let's change this immediately. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's so easy in a small business or in any business. I don't know. Like this is, this is what SOPs are about. I think. Yeah. It's like building a st- <laughs> I'm laughing because we've said all this stuff in the podcast. It's just like, it's, over, it's hitting, it's hitting different. <laughs> it just feels like, Oh, like I'm finally understanding. Like, um, yeah, just like you need, like there's no improvement without standardization, right? Like that's a quote that yeah. we've said on this podcast, but like, this is why, Yeah. because like, how are you going to figure out what balance of time should be allocated to each task in the shop? if every day you do it slightly differently and there's a different mix of stuff coming in the door and there's a different mix of like, like you're never repeating an experiment. So you're never going to learn. Yeah. And one thing that really came and by you, I mean me, (laughs) (laughs) one thing that came really clear through this is like what introducing humans into the equation, like especially when it comes to prioritizing work Mm -hmm. and how we deal with this kind of thing like a lot of us have very different habits and skill sets around these types of, around these types of things. Interesting. And so you might end up with somebody in the shop who is just really good at like catching things before they fall. Mm-hmm. Do you mean that literally metaphorically? Uh, mostly metaphorically. Okay. Um, right. But there, there's probably that one person in your shop who's like, they're pretty tuned into the process uh-huh. and they're like, Oh, that's going to be done in 10 minutes. I'm going to do this little thing. Right. Which is fantastic until you realize that like that is happening because something's wrong and you'll never find out unless you like put this sort of rigid system in place and you keep being like, why is that thing not happening? And it's like, Oh, it's person a, or it's on someone else's list, but they're not the, like it might be that person a who's really good at catching balls before they fall. It's not on their list. And so they're like, well, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And person B is like, Oh, well, nobody told me You're like, Oh, clearly we need to come up with a way that yeah. person B needs to know when this is done. And you will never have found that out otherwise. No. And like, this is the scientific method, right? This yeah. is like why <laughs> you do single variable experiments and it's a little, um, 
Mm, conceited is probably an overstatement, but <laughs> you know, um, to, to try to do this experiment, like multivariable, you know, just so many variables every day is slightly different for all these reasons. Yeah. And I think like <clears throat> the problem, well, humans, like our brains are pretty amazing, but they're essentially correlation machines. And uh-huh. if you know anything about, you know, the A3 process or just TPS <laughs> in general, it's like root causes is, is really important. Yeah. And correlation does not imply causation. Yeah. And so having like this huge map of correlation mm. data in your head about how to run your business, it's like, oh yeah, well normally when we get this kind of order, we should really kind of do things this other way. Just, you know, like that's not actually that useful for growth, no. for moving forward. And unfortunately it's how we've been operating since time immemorial (laughs) well since you know produce starting to produce buckles um oh you i thought you meant human humanity yeah well that too (laughs) um yeah so it's just it's it's annoying i think to document all these processes and then it's also annoying as like proactive smart people to sort Mm -hmm. of watch something crumble yeah intentionally and not like oh something's gonna fall let me catch it yeah i don't know that's hard and this sort of gets back to like i do think you have to ride that line too for sure (laughs) like from experience you gotta like yeah but i think riding that line has to mean learning yeah not fixing maybe both but learning then fixing (laughs) like hey i see that this is going to be a huge failure let's rebalance this Mm -hmm. priority list to account for that yeah and now suddenly you have a better priority list yeah um i don't know i don't know when we're going to squeeze all this work in of like (laughs) reinventing how we make buckles Uh, i don't think we will i think we'll do it very slowly but that would fall within the the method yeah (laughs) incrementally (laughs) if you will um that's a good point yes yeah that too that leads into the uh the small business point you had um oh yeah so i've been thinking that lean and um theory of constraints and all these systems are extremely powerful and useful Um, it feels like we need like a lean for small business that is sort of different. It's yeah. An independent entity sort of. Yeah. Just like order of operations of improvements, just like a different rubric because what's the like stop everything and fix it. Judoka. Judoka. Um, like that is sort of practical, but also generally not practical. And like improve like okay even you know there is no improvement without standards it's like you shouldn't standardize a workflow that is a week into existence and is producing a product that doesn't have product market fit like yeah i I don't know it's like or maybe you should like write in let us know (laughs) i don't i don't think it makes sense to okay um i think this sort of comes back to I think applying some of the job shop lean stuff here is where I I think it has a lot of applicability to small business Uh in that. Yeah. You're not, you're not working with stable process. Like, you know, you don't have a stable product. 
for right. example. Right. 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 But you can have a stable like product launch method or you can have yeah. a, a stable documentation of what you've done method. Yeah. So, like all these yeah. tools apply. It just feels like I don't have a mental, I don't have any sort of like way of figuring out where I am and what I should be working on. Yeah. And which ones of these things happen first or second, or they all happen. Like maybe this is the process. Maybe this is just how we have to do it, which is like super messy. And, but in the vein of standard work and all that, it does seem like maybe all businesses at different stages um, should be going through these steps in a slightly different way or with a different focus. Mm. I wonder, this will probably, you know, we'll get a few I told you so's, but um, <laughs> if I spent too much time uh, refining the manufacturing methods of, my pro- of the products we already were producing rather than working on new products, because like, it's very cool, it's yeah. fun, I like it, um, but I don't know. I, I would push back on that a little bit in that you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't have nearly as much of a business if you hadn't, cause you couldn't have made the stuff in with the labor that you did or sold it. Yeah. I would have had a lot more of a business because I would have launched a, a like a, an easier to manufacture higher margin product earlier. Like, yeah. I don't know. And and I think what this points to is not maybe that I was wrong uh-huh. or maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. There is a line somewhere in there. You can't, right? Like, I don't know. It's just like you learn every, <clears throat> everything you do, you learn from, right? And like, right. you wouldn't be producing this new product at the rate that you were without having learned all the hard lessons you did on the first one. For sure. So I think you could cut this both ways. You can, but there's... Well, like you're probably much more, you're much more poised for growth from a production standpoint. No doubt. Now than you would have been if you had focused purely on product development. Right. But where is the, like, how do you know? Okay. This is exactly the point. (laughs) How do you know where you should be focused? Right? Like what is that balance? Because it is a balance. Like you're saying, like it's, if you keep launching new products and you have no ability to produce with consistent quality, like you're not going to have a good reputation and people aren't going to want future products. Yeah. If you can't produce enough of them to sell, to generate cash flow, if you're growing things organically, like you can't operate. Yeah. It like there's a million ways of parsing this. Right. And I don't feel like there's any, I haven't read yet a system for like, you are a growing bit. You are a small business. <laughs> Here's how you should approach things. Yeah. And maybe there it just isn't an answer. I think, but like, I hesitate to say this because every time we, you know, discuss there being too many variables to standardize, that turns out not to be the case, <laughs> but, uh, um, but there's too many, but there's, there are a lot of variables here, right? Like we're yeah. talking about businesses that produce physical goods, businesses that don't, um, right. The product market fit, the volume and invest, cost of, yeah, yeah. Cost of goods or cost of production varies to such a degree that like, right. For a company that's developing a product that they're going to sell 10 per year. Right. This is a very different calculus. Than and even the calculus you. of like, 
how much money or time does it take to generate a new product? Yeah. Right. Like if R and D is going to be a 10 year endeavor, yeah. then that's different than a six month endeavor. Yeah. <sighs> Damn. <laughs> but there probably is, if you back out to kind of a little higher, higher level of looking at it, uh-huh. I bet there are some simple kind of, uh, what would the word be? Just like, overlays or kind of like metrics that you could lay on the different right. sort of pieces of the business and say, Oh, is this one a, a one or a 10? Okay. If it's a 10, we need to emphasize this part. If it's a one, we can de-emphasize, right. You know, like if it's like, okay, we're going to, we're trying to build a business where we sell 10 million units a year. Clearly we need to emphasize production capability. We're trying to build a business where we mm-hmm. sell 10 per month. And they're not complicated, but they take it takes a lot to convince the consumer that it's what they need. We can de-emphasize production. We can really emphasize, yeah. you know, sales and marketing or whatever. Right. I'm not sure if that's helpful, but I mean, all these lenses are helpful for sure. Um, I just find it very. It's not disorienting. Yeah. Um. I feel a lack of conviction about where I should be spending my time. Yeah. Same. Right. Like, should we be improving? Should we be growing our production capacity? Knowing there's a lot of waste in our current methods. Should we improve and get rid of those wastes? Or should we just go ahead and buy another machine and double capacity Uh with our crappy system or (laughs) our very good crappy system? Uh, Or, do we just like head down, uh, release some new products? Do we, yeah, round and round we go, which I guess is just like welcome to small business, but it does. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's I just hard. want easy answers and there are none. And I think it is a hard answer. I don't know. Like a year and a half, two years ago, I remember like sitting with some friends, kind of talking about where we wanted to be in mm-hmm. life in a year or two. I Interesting. Being like I want to. I want my business to be at a place where I'm proactive instead of reactive. (laughs) I'm not there. Um, and it's really, I think this is kind of what you're talking about is like having some sort of visibility into the future, quote unquote, so that you can preemptively or predictively be putting energy where the business needs versus just reacting to what the business needs now because someone or some force is demanding it from, from you and from the business. Yeah, and this is, right, and maybe this is just so case-specific. But yeah, you're right. Like, do you say no to high-volume work at a lower margin because right now, like, we shouldn't be putting time into just, like, cranking the handle of the sausage machine because we're trying to build a bigger sausage machine, right? Like, I don't know. These are all factors. (laughs) Yeah. Write in if you have answers. Yet again, we are winding (laughs) down on an open-ended question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have two little tidbits. Yeah. Um, my brother is, um, at MIT studying aerospace design. And one of his classmates worked in the car industry Uh and apparently has answers to a lot of the questions I've been having. Oh, (laughs) so I'm trying to have a conversation with him, but, um, one of the pieces that was mentioned to me just as a little tidbit that might be useful to someone 
um, is the idea of a parent-child kanban, huh. where they're two con. It's two cards. Well, whatever they are. Yeah. So it's two cards that are when, when, when something is required. So say at our assembly station, yeah. instead of triggering one card, we would trigger two cards. One of those would go to our paint department. The other one would immediately go to our machining department. Mm. Yeah, we kind of discussed this in the past. Yeah, so this is a concept that is like sort of exists. And it's to deal with this issue of like basically building in like information latency in a funny way. Um, It's an interesting lever to pull. I, my immediate question is kind of like, is that a Band-Aid? Because like the, one of the points of Kanban is to elevate problems. Yeah. And it sort of feels like that fixes a problem that has something to do with like your shop operations being a little weird. Right. You're like band-aiding the potential like jerk of like information flowing it, upstream. I, I can't quite decide. Yeah. Um, yeah. More broadly, um, my brother's like very, does a lot of work in controls mm. and turns out that like a lot of this is just a big controls problem of like information inputs outputs latency signal strength whatever so something he was saying which i thought was interesting was that and this sort of explains like the weird uh contradiction between like kanban and intense production plans yeah is that production planning is sort of establishing the levels like we were talking about earlier to get production leveling, right? Uh-huh. Like that's how you do it. It's like, we're going to do sort of, we think we're going to do this number of cars. Yeah. That means all of these things, which means this is our tack time. So we need to produce like a steering wheel every three minutes or we need to right, and yeah. which means we need this much leather upstream and this much whatever else. And that Kanban is sort of small signal feedback mm. to that larger system. And I think right now I'm using Kanban as the whole system yeah. rather than as the little feedback mechanism in there. Interesting. Yeah, production planning can be like, I'm going to need to eat today. I'm going to go to the store and buy a chicken and potatoes and vegetables and then like the signal is your stomach like actually being like, uh, I'm getting hungry. Uh, maybe you should use your hands to start chopping and put this stuff on the stove. Interesting. Sort of. Maybe I would think, hmm. That was a very <laughs> off the cuff analogy. <laughs> I feel like it's more like um, the idea of having sequences of like we do this Kanban, then that Kanban, then this other Kanban. Uh-huh. That is not something, as I said, that's going to happen organically. That's from someone looking at the problem and yeah. going like, okay, they're needed in this ratio. We should be doing them in that ratio upstream. Uh-huh. You're sort of providing the nerve pathways. Yeah, and it's like, but don't do Kanban B if there is no Kanban B, yeah. right? Like something happened. We don't know what. It's telling us don't make more you know what yeah (laughs) of this part so don't and that's the little feedback tweaks of like even though it was part of the plan but i i that's the thing i don't think i've established an overarching plan that then kanban is the signal within it Mm. yeah that's a good point like it's like building a nervous system and then the signals are the kanban i feel like we just put a bunch of cards and we're like okay that one goes there that one goes there go (laughs) (laughs) 
and it's everybody works. run it's way better okay i will say this it's way way better than the way most small shops and a lot of bigger shops work yeah. which is there's neither yeah <laughs> right and so people just go make things based on what they think people spend a lot of time walking around the shop going like oh do we need more of these things do we need more of those Ooh, those are really going to be needed in a week so we should really start them now like yeah that's most of the world yeah yeah. So it's a big jump forward, but I think it's an interesting <clears throat> mental model to just realize like we are missing a big part of it. Uh-huh. And so like in our shop now, I'm just seeing those failures of we do predictably do these parts in some ratio. And so when I go through and I paint a ton of one part cuz we do have the kanban, so technically it's pull. It's like right, but there's no way we're going to ship that immediately. And there's a very good possibility that we're going to run out of this other thing that I'm not painting. Yeah. And so that sort of gets back to like, let's sit down for a second, just like pencil this thing out and figure out right. What balance of stuff we should be making. Anyway, that was one little thing, maybe a big thing. Um, the other is we've increased our production quite a lot over the past few weeks. Uh huh. And so we've started running out of things. My knee jerk reaction, which is, I think the way most people do this is, oh, we should be ordering more because we're using more. Mm -hmm. We are in a really small shop and that is not viable. And so what I'm realizing is instead of increasing um, quantity, we need to increase frequency and to increase frequency. We need to work on driving down the cost of a, of an order in Uh time. Yeah. And so in, oh, in time. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, in everything. Um, but yeah, so th- that's sort of the goal now is, um, one of the things we've been talking about is creating, which is hilarious. We don't have one is like an ordering and receiving station yeah. that like has a dedicated computer with Coda. So we can constantly update the information on the Kanban mm. make it easier to reorder <clears throat> And not like intentionally not go like, oh, well, we ran out. Let's instead of ordering 100 at a time, let's order 300 at a time because we literally don't have space to store them. Yeah. Which is hilarious because we're essentially just re reinventing the wheel <laughs> just in time. <laughs> but here we are. At least we have books on it to lean on. Yeah. So, yeah. One of the big fallouts, I think, of moving to a bigger shop is we're going to need a lot more computers to, mm. to access information at various places as things got spread out that makes tons of sense <clears throat> even in our tiny shop i'm realizing we need more computers yeah um and we have a tiny shop but there are i don't know if you've seen them there are some ridiculously non-powerful computers mm-hmm. that are quite cheap yeah i think i've been over i'm like well we're getting a computer it should have like a good amount of ram and a good uh-huh. amount of this and that and it's like you don't need much to get on the internet that's true um so yeah. it might just drive down the cost a bit Interesting. If you find one or if somebody knows of a good, like all I care about is reliability really. Um, for a lot of these, like we, do you even need reliability? Like what if it, what if it was like 10 bucks and is everything you're using is online and then if it breaks, you switch it out. Yeah. It breaks is fine. Uh huh. Like halfway breaking is, is where <laughs> like we've struggled. Glitchy. Yeah. Just glitchy. I see. We're like, yeah. this works, but why am I still standing here? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. We have one computer right now that was like a refurb that is like that. And it's like, this is, is annoying. A professional refurb. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, weird. Does yeah. it have a warranty? Probably not at this point. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention 
on Black Friday, did I talk about this on the podcast? On Black Friday, I had this long list of things I wanted to get. Hmm. And then I was like sort of figuring them out. And then I checked. Um, eBay has this thing. eBay, our new sponsor for this podcast. <laughs> um, thank you, eBay. No. Um, has a thing like eBay refurbished, like certified oh. refurbished. And so out of, I was just like, wait a second. I should just check eBay. And everything was cheaper than like massively on sale. Like every single thing I checked was cheaper. So I was like, okay, there's no time pressure. So I just like, yeah, I'm, yeah. Go- I'm Googling right now. Yeah. Just add to whatever search eBay refurbished. Cause I think a lot of the time, like as a business owner, you're not trying to like mess around with like, Ooh, maybe I'll take, maybe I'll like, I'll spend 30 bucks on this thing that should be 300 Yeah, and like maybe it'll work or maybe with a little tinkering it'll work. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. I just need something that works. Yeah. And so I think the the refurbished um, sort of takes the question mark off of the yeah. whole endeavor. Yeah, yeah. If people have ideas about like laptop versus tablet versus mm. desktop for workstations, I'd also be curious about that. Like oh, yeah. I like, I like desktops and they're cheap, but all of a sudden you run into this like now I have to make a mounting thing for or it takes mm. up a lot of space you got to find a place for a keyboard and mount a screen and, and you can like walk pad. across the shop with it <clears throat> and type stuff into a database yeah or now that i'm saying this laptops might just or tablets might be a way that we sort of deal with some of these issues like bring mm. the information with you instead of right having separate information that's everywhere. true and a lot of this stuff is like viewing not necessarily entering a lot of information i think you need augmented reality oh yeah definitely that will solve everything yeah. <laughs> uh we, we are still doing so much in paper uh anyhow i'm googling ebay refurbished right now it's excellent it's enticing yeah it's pretty good 60 percent off laptops everybody there you go <laughs> hop on there yeah i've also been doing a lot of shopping at goodwill yeah um so cheap <laughs> and great stuff yeah so I think that's a good place to wrap up. I think so. Yeah. Thanks everybody for coming along on the ride. Absolutely. If you uh, have the uh, recipe for a small business lean, please send it in. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) Um, Yes. We have a Patreon. If you find you're getting value out of this podcast, please consider joining our Patreon. Um, You can find the podcast on Instagram at incremental CI. You can find me at austeremfg.com or austere underscore manufacturing on Instagram. You can find me at lichenprecision.com and lichen underscore MFG on Instagram. Shoot us a note. We will write back. Talk to you soon.